ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I ask that you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30, as we look at the servant under attack. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 30. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And blasphemy is wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Let me begin this message by asking a couple of questions. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been misrepresented? Has anyone ever taken your words, your motives, and twisted them around and used them against you? If you live long enough in this world, you're going to face that kind of a personal attack. The earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus was surrounded by constant controversy. Nearly everyone he met misunderstood him and what he came to do in the world. Nearly everyone was guilty of misrepresenting his words and his works. The things he did and said in love were used to literally attack him in hate. We've already seen that the religious leaders had absolutely no use for Jesus. They hated him. They hated everything that he said, everything that he did. They despised him so much that they actually plotted to have him killed, according to Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. This passage shows Jesus being attacked by two groups of people. Both of these attacks have something to teach us about our own walk with the Lord. 
If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you will come under attack. That is the Lord's promise to his followers in John chapter 15 and verse 18 and 1 John 3 and verse 13. No one likes to think about being hated for their faith, but you should not be surprised when the devil and his crowd attacks you and treats you like they treated our Lord. Now in verses 20 and 21, we see that while Jesus is being watched, he's performing miracles, he's teaching his friends literally attacked his sanity. The first attack in this passage comes from a very unlikely source. His friends and his family. We know that it is his family because they cannot get in to see him. Because of the great crowds that have gathered around him. So they send word to him to let him know. They want to see him in verses 31 through 35. Now Jesus has just returned from an all-night prayer meeting in the mountains, according to Luke in uh, chapter 6 and verse 12. He has just chosen the 12 men who would serve as his disciples in verses 13 through 18. And he, he and his men have returned to town, and now they've entered into a house in verse 19. No doubt they're hoping to get some sort of rest, much needed rest. Their plans are shattered by a multitude of people who come to Christ and his men for help. They're so busy ministering to the crowds of people that they do not even have time to eat a meal. When his friends hear about what all he is doing, their first thought is that Jesus has gone completely crazy. The phrase that he is beside himself means exactly that. Why would they think Jesus was crazy? Well, look at the evidence. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 5, he claims to be God. In Mark 3 verses 13 through 18, he calls men to follow him around the country to preach his word. According to Mark chapter 3 and verse 20, the Lord refuses to rest and take care of himself. He refused to work as a carpenter, choosing rather to wander around the country and preach. He doesn't work for a living. He trusts God to supply his needs. He draws such vast crowds that there is a danger of him being trampled and crushed by those crowds. The danger was so real that Jesus had a boat standing by in case he needed to escape the crowds of people. All the intellectual folks and the learned men in Israel believe that he's crazy as well, according to Mark chapter 3 and verse 22. His relatives misunderstood Jesus and his ministry. Because they couldn't understand him, they thought that he was completely off his rocker. It amazes me that there are people in our world who think just like the Lord's family. For instance, a family has a son or a daughter 
or that young person is starting to spread their wings a little bit. They go out and they're doing things that they were taught not to do. Oftentimes the parents will say, oh, they're just sowing their wild oats. They'll settle down in a little while. You take the same young person and you let them get saved. They start living for the Lord and they're doing crazy things. Like going to church three times a week. Like praying. Like reading their Bible. Like living clean. Like acting like Christ. Those same parents who excused the sin in their child's life cannot cope with them being so sold out for Christ. They'll say things like, well, that Jesus stuff has gone to their heads. They become fanatical about it. They're, that religion has made them crazy. Those people over at that church have brainwashed my child. I just don't understand why they have to live like he does. I'm worried about him. As a pastor, I've heard much of it all. You would almost think that they would rather their child live with the devil. Of course, as long as their child is living worse than they do, they don't feel condemned by their own hellish lifestyle. But you let that child start living a clean, holy life, and that ungodly parent becomes ashamed of the way they are living. They cannot stand being shown up by someone younger than themselves. You may as well come to terms with it today. Not everyone is happy when you got saved. There will be some people in your family and among your friends that will criticize you for living for Jesus. They will call you a fanatic, a Jesus freak, religious nut, holier than thou, holy roller, preacher, deacon, etc. Of course, Jesus said it would be this way in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 38. Don't let that crowd get to you. They called D.L. Moody Crazy Moody because of his zeal for the Lord. They said Paul was mad in Acts chapter 28 and verse 34. They said Jesus in Mark 3 and verse 22, Jesus hath a devil. They said the same thing about Martin Luther and John Bunyan and John Wesley. If serving Christ is madness then we need more sanctified insanity in the church today. These people came to get Jesus. They came to stage an intervention. The phrase, lay hold on him, literally means to take by force, to arrest. These people came to grab Jesus. And they came to take him back to Nazareth, so lock him away until his thinking was, was, was straightened out. If they had a mental institution in those days, Jesus would have been locked up by these people. Don't be shocked at what your family and friends will do to get you off this quote-unquote Jesus kick. They will try to talk you out of your commitment they will try to make you feel guilty for putting Jesus and the church ahead of them. They might even try to tempt you to sin. They'll try to do anything that they can to draw you away from Christ. Doing so makes them look better in their own eyes. When their attacks come, say, stay strong in your commitment to him. Jesus Christ, save your soul. 
Jesus Christ changed your life. He is your Lord, not them. He will help you stand for him and live for him in spite of what anyone else may throw across your path. Verses 22 through 30, we see that his foes attacked his spirituality. Now, while his loved ones are on the outside trying to stage an intervention to save Jesus from himself, the scribes are on the inside listening to Jesus and watching him work. These men do not attack his sanity. They attack his spirituality. They do not think Jesus is insane. They think that he's demon-possessed. Verse 22, we examine the, the attack more closely. These men consider the words and the works of the Lord, and they say, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. They attribute the miracles of the Lord Jesus to the power of the devil. Beyond that, they accuse Jesus of working under the influence of Beelzebub. The name literally means the Lord of flies or the Lord of filth. Beelzebub was a loathsome, wicked demon associated with all things dirty and filthy. It was a cruel, heartless attack. Why would they say something so foolish and so cruel? If they acknowledge that Jesus is working his miracles in the power of God, they will be obligated to follow him too. If they acknowledge that Jesus is working his miracles in the power of God, they will have to admit that their old system of belief is dead and is being replaced. If they acknowledge Jesus and what he's doing, they are out of business and they know it. They will have to change and that's, that's not about to happen. So they attack Jesus, and they accuse him of being in league with the devil. And if this charge sticks, they can undermine his ministry with the people and draw away his crowds. It's easy to attack people you don't agree with. You don't need facts. You just make a few wild accusations, and people who are not spiritual will take the bait. And when that takes place, a life, a reputation, a family, or a ministry can be destroyed. Beware that you're not in the business of attacking others, for when you do, you're truly doing the work of Satan. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that he is a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. The word devour means to destroy. Satan is a destroyer, and he loves to enlist others in the demolition business. In verses 23 through 27, we see that Jesus calls his attackers to him, and he totally destroys their arguments. He uses three illustrations from life that prove Satan cannot be in the business of casting out Satan. In verse 24, he gives a secular illustration. A kingdom in division is a kingdom that cannot stand. Where there's a civil war and strife within a kingdom, the stability of that kingdom is compromised. And that kingdom is more likely to fall. 
For a kingdom to be strong, it must be united. Satan is out to win the battle between himself and the Lord. He is not going to do anything to weaken himself in the fight. For him to cast out his own demons would be totally counterproductive and just illogical. Verse 25, the Lord Jesus gives a social illustration. A house that exists in division is a house that cannot stand. Children who grow up in a home where their mother and their father fight like cats and dogs do not stand a chance. A marriage that faces a constant barrage of fighting is a marriage that cannot stand. A home is not a home unless it is filled with love, unity, and peace. Again, Satan is out to win. He is not in the business of fighting with himself. It doesn't make sense. That which is true in a kingdom and in a home is also true in the church. Unity gives us great power with God and against our enemies. Division, on the other hand, destroys us from within. My friend, it is imperative that the church maintain a unity of love and purpose in the midst of differing opinions and seasons. The third illustration our Lord gives is a spiritual illustration. Jesus says that you cannot rob a well-defended home unless you first tie up the defender of that home. The illustration is clear. Satan defends his kingdom. But Jesus had the power to invade Satan's kingdom and deliver whomsoever he desires from the devil's grip. I'm saying that Jesus Christ has power over the devil. It may be that you're in the grip of sin. Maybe that you're in the grip of Satan. Do not despair. Jesus is able to set you free. He is more powerful than Satan. And he can invade the fortress of your heart and break the shackles that have you bound. He is able, he is able to set the sinner free. It may be that you have someone whom you love that's in the grip of sin, the grip of the devil. Again, you do not have to despair. Our Lord is able to touch their heart and set them free. He is able to break the bondage of their sinful addictions and give them new life in himself. Never stop believing. Never stop praying. The Lord knows where they are. And he knows exactly how to reach them. Verses 28 through 30. These religious men do not see the terrible spiritual danger they are in. They've looked at God's Messiah and called him the servant of the devil. They have looked at the answer of all their prayers They have seen the fulfillment of the law. They have looked him in in his face and the prophets and they have accused him of being demon-possessed. And in response to their accusations, Jesus issues a very serious warning to these men. 
He warns them that they are in danger of crossing the line with God. They are in danger of committing an unpardonable sin. Now, the matter of the unpardonable sin has caused many people much worry over the years. Many people have talked to me over the years and how concerned they are and about others as well who may have committed this sin. More people than I can remember have come to me worried because they think they're guilty of this sin. But let's look at the verses and talk about this matter of the unpardonable sin just for a few moments. Perhaps we can shed some light on what it is and how a person can avoid committing it. Verse 28, the sin we see that can be forgiven. Jesus makes a glorious statement in this verse. He said, all manners, all manner of sins and blasphemes can be forgiven. And to that we say, praise the Lord. You take any sin that you may have committed, any blaspheme that you may have spoken or thought, and it can be forgiven no matter how vile the sin, no matter how vile the sinner, forgiveness is available if a person will come to Christ and will ask him for forgiveness. The Bible is clear on that. 1 John 1.9, 1, Colossians 2.13, 1 John 1, 1.7, Isaiah 1.18. When sin is brought to him, he does away with it forever. Now please do not allow some sin or some wicked deed to stand between you and heaven. Regardless of what you are or what you've done, he will forgive you and he will never turn you away. If the Lord will take Saul of Tarsus, he will take anybody. If he will take us, he will take anybody. And verse 29, we see the sin that can never be forgiven. Having told us that all sin can be forgiven, Jesus now tells us that blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. The word blaspheme means to speak evil of. The scribes were guilty of speaking evil of the Holy Spirit. How? Well, Jesus was healing the sick. He was casting out the devils. He was preaching the word of God all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not work in this world as God in flesh, though he was. Jesus worked in this world as a spirit-filled man. And when the scribes attributed the work of the Spirit to the devil, they were guilty of blaspheme against the Spirit of God. So Jesus said they were in danger of committing a sin that could not be forgiven. Now the question that arises here is this. Is it possible to commit the same unpardonable sin today? The answer is no. This sin could only have been committed by people living in those days when Jesus walked the earth. This sin could only be committed by people who looked into his eyes, saw his miracles, heard his words, experienced his love and grace in action, and said that he was of the devil. The only way this sin could be committed today is for Jesus to be here in the flesh during the same works he was doing then. 
The unpardonable sin as it is described in these verses cannot be committed today. Don't let the devil, don't let some preacher, don't let some Christian scare you with this accusation. It is impossible to commit this sin today. Even if you could commit it, you would care. If you were concerned about the condition of your soul, you have not committed the unpardonable sin because the Lord is still speaking to your heart. However, there is a sense in which a person can commit a similar sin that is also unpardonable. You see, even though Jesus is not in this world physically, the Holy Spirit is still testifying of him. We know that to be true, but the Bible verifies it in John 15 and verse 26. The Spirit of God brings conviction on the heart of the lost person. John 16, verses 7 through 11, John 6, 44. And when the Spirit of God does this, he is calling the sinner to come to Jesus. If the sinner comes repenting of his sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that sinner is forgiven and that sinner is saved. However, if that person turns a deaf ear to the call of the Spirit of God and hardens his heart against the will of God, that sinner will continue on his way to hell. There is no plan B. God only speaks through his Spirit. If you reject his call, the Holy Spirit of God may call again, and he may not. If he does, it is pure, absolute, pure grace. If he does not, it was just grace that caused him to call the first time anyway. And the only unforgivable sin in this day is saying no to the call of the Holy Spirit for the last time. When he comes calling, and you say no for the last time, he will abandon you to your choice and he will allow you to go to hell because it was your choice. Friend, do not walk away from the Lord today. If he's calling you, come to him. Now is the time to come. And in closing, I want to ask you, believer, are you under attack for your faith? Are you being misunderstood or misrepresented? If you're being attacked for your faith in Jesus, you are in good company. You ought to come today. You ought to bow in your head, bow in your heart, and thank God that you're being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. You should also pray that he'll help you to be steadfast, faithful for his glory. If you're lost and he's been calling you to come to him for salvation, I would suggest to you that you say yes to his call today. Come while he's calling. Come while you can be saved. If their needs come to him today, the Lord stands ready to receive you, to help you, to save you, to strengthen you. He is God. Come to Christ. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.